Hey everyone, and welcome to another Yogi Misfit Sessions. My name is Danny Pomploon, and I am your host. Today I'm actually coming at you with session one of the Yogi Misfit and Fierce Calm collaboration. So we'll be featuring one of their stories, uh, one of their main stories, and then a couple little stories at the end of the show as well. I am a global ambassador for Fierce Calm. They're a platform that shares how yoga can save, and there's so many cool stories on there. People that have survived and have got through so many things from eating disorders to drug habits to injuries it's just a really 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 cool platform to share about how yoga can really change impact and save people's lives today i have joseph armstrong on the show and he is a nishtanga practitioner he's based out of guatemala right now which is why we have a little bit of an internet thing going on Um, But he's on the show and he shares his story of how he hit his rock bottom and eventually ended up finding Ashtanga yoga, practicing with mentors like Kino McGregor and has completely turned his entire life around doing it. A quick little reminder to get more people to share their stories, to get more people to listen to their podcast, to have more people impacted by these stories. Please leave a review for us on iTunes. There is a link down below that shows you how to do it. The more reviews we get, the more the show gets broadcasted, the more people hear about it. So we appreciate, totally appreciate just a little bit of love and support down there. And then last but not least, just big love to our friends and family over at Fierce Calm. We are so excited about this collaboration. Without further ado, here goes the Fierce Calm Collab, Episode 1. Hey, Joseph. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hi there. I'm doing good things. How about you? I'm doing all right. You know, doing hanging out. It's a uh, cloudy day in San Francisco. It's freezing cold, but that's okay. <laughs> nice. Well, I'm here in uh, Antigua, Guatemala. And what's nice here is that they call this the land of eternal spring. So it's pretty much nice year round here. Wow, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I've actually, I haven't been to Guatemala. I don't, they no haven't been to guatemala yet maybe i was there in passing no i lied wasn't haven't been in guatemala (laughs) okay well it's nice you should come sometime it's um there's lots of active volcanoes so i live right at the foot of this huge volcano her name is agua oddly enough and there's a couple more around us there's one one active one called fuego uh, and they're gorgeous that's awesome i love that i love that uh yeah I think the furthest I'm down there, well, I was in Costa Rica but a few times. I go there a couple times a year, but I mean, pretty close to the vicinity. Okay. Yeah. Not far at all. <laughs> yeah. So I'm super excited because you're actually the first Fierce Calm story that we're featuring um, on the show. And I'm just a huge supporter and big lover of the Fierce Calm platform. Um, I love what they're doing. I love that they're giving people to uh, permission it, to uh, to share their stories and to you know, kind of take shame out of the equation and also to just be seen and to be heard, you know, to, to, to have people recognize that they're not alone, that they, that, that, you know, things have had, have happened to us in life and, you know, that we're, 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 uh, we're okay in, in this community of being able to share that out loud. I, I love everything that they're doing over at Fierce Calm. Absolutely. Me too. And, um, 
when they first asked me to share my story with them, I immediately agreed because I think that that sort of uh, platform for radical honesty that they offer is very empowering. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I use my whole um, online presence in that way. I, I try to be as radically honest about what I've done, what I've been through and what I'm doing now as I can be because it's, it's okay to, to have these, um, I guess you could even say like shameful episodes. It's okay. It's okay that that stuff happened and it's helpful to share about it. Helpful for yourself and for the people reading it. Yeah, same, same. I'm, I mean, I'm right there with you. The more we can share about it, the better, you know, it gives us permission to make sense of it all. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's great. Let's, let's dive in. So I want to hear more about your story and yeah, let's just, let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Tell me all about your, the past and how you got to where you're at now with your practice. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, you know, I typically, when someone asks me a question like that, I, I frame it the typical way around um, what it was like before, what happened and what it's like now. So what it was like before was um, sort of a lifetime of addictive behavior that sort of even predated me. So addiction runs in my family. My mother actually, uh, you could pretty much say died from her, her addiction. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it goes back several generations in our family, this sort of um, disease. I myself managed to not use any drugs or alcohol at all until my senior year of high school. And then I started drinking and smoking weed. In college, I started doing more recreational drugs. I, I started flirting with ecstasy. And then um, I got into a pretty heavy cocaine addiction. Um, eventually, I sort of pinnacled with uh, a spree through crystal methamphetamine that lasted for a few years. Um, I actually like to say that fortunately, I finally graduated to um, the most intense way to do crystal meth, which is intravenously. And I say fortunately, because it only took six months of that for me to burn down my whole life and hit a rock bottom and sort of have to start rebuilding. So that's that's the really quick story of my my usage. Um, so what happened to change it? Like I said, I, I hit this bottom from the meth usage where um, I kind of stole a car. I wouldn't say exactly stole a car, but I, <laughs> how do you, I, how do you, I rented a car. How do you yeah, kind, kind of rent, steal a car? <laughs> I rented a car for a few days and ended up keeping it for three months. So in the eyes of car rental uh, administration, that's kind of like stealing a car. Um, so I had these people uh, sending messages to my family and friends trying to locate me in this vehicle. And I think they were just on the verge of um, submitting it to the police as a grand theft auto. But fortunately, uh, somehow I had the good sense at that moment to return this vehicle to them. Um, so sort of a side note to this is that I was actually living out of this vehicle. My, my ex and I at the time had, had rented this car. 
We'd also stolen some drugs and we had driven this car and these drugs on a trip through a large swath of the Southeast United States. And the drugs had just recently run out and um, now the car had run out and I was pretty much left with nothing. Um, so I had to call family who, who got me home. They airlifted me home to North Carolina and sort of sheltered me while I took my first real uh, baby steps into recovery. Mm. Um, so I, I did a little detox there and then I started attending some 12 step meetings and um, I, I still had a little back and forth with substances mm -hmm. and um, I had a couple relapses and you know, I wasn't fully committed to a 12-step a path of recovery at that time. And mm -hmm. I also wasn't fully uh, committed to a, a yogic path of recovery at that time. Uh, I was sort of just flirting with both. And um, I I'd had some pretty significant forays into to yoga prior to this rock bottom. Um, I had done a couple of rehabs and they hadn't worked out for me. So I decided that I was going to actually go to India. And instead of going to rehab again, I was going to do a yoga teacher training. Mm. And um, this was in 2012. Uh, so I had done a month-long intensive that was mostly sober. Um, but this was actually a, a fair amount of time before my rock bottom. Um, I also, like I said, flirted with 12-step meetings quite a bit. Um, but... Uh, the only thing that eventually finally got me sober was a very strong combination of both 12-step recovery and in particular for me, Ashtanga Yoga. Mm. So um, I feel like these two programs um, really multiply each other. And I don't think I'm the only person to have that experience. I think that yoga times uh, the 12 steps is really effective for a lot, a lot of individuals. Um, so yeah, I, I finally got my, my act together uh, through the process of working these two programs, the program of yoga and the program of recovery. Um, and since that time, things have really been amazing. Um, I ended up in a, a two-year apprenticeship with um, Tim Feldman and Keena McGregor at the Miami Life Center. And um, it, it, that program, more than anything else, really shaped who I am right now as an individual and as a teacher. Um, and it's really just opened up the world to me, um, I, the world of of practice and the world of, um, of healing. Why do you think that Ashtanga in itself, like, I mean, is there anything with that lineage in general or that program? Like what made it so impactful for you? Yeah. Um, hands down. It's, it's the same thing as, um, AA or any 12 step fellowship. And that, that's that they expect you to be there every single day. Mm -hmm. I think that's it. Like in your first 90 days of a 12-step of a program, you're expected to be with your butt in that chair every day for 90 days because 
um, it takes a concentrated effort in order to start uh, breaking the habits that you'd formed. And it's the same thing with the Shtranga Yoga. With the Shtranga, there is this expectation that I should be there uh, six days a week to do the practice. Um, mm-hmm. um, and there's a, a lot of other parallels. Uh, for instance, in, in 12-step yoga, uh, 12-step recovery, you have your sponsor, right? Someone to, to hold you accountable. Mm-hmm. And I think Ashtanga Yoga really does something similar with the uh, teacher-student relationship. Um, I really felt a sense of responsibility uh, to, to these people who were trying to help me. And you felt like there was also like that accountability too, because you had, I mean, not only your teacher there, but also I'm sure other colleagues or other students, you know, around, around you as well, being in that same space. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So um, that's something else that is really special in, in Ashtanga yoga is that um, there's this sense of parampara and lineage and community mm-hmm. uh, that is really impactful. Where do you think you'd be at if you didn't have yoga right now? I, I'd probably be dead. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's not a joke. I, I mean, I'd, I prob- hear you. <laughs> I'd probably be dead. Yeah. Um, I feel, I feel the same. <laughs> because my, my drug usage had really led me to a state of complete mental instability and physical breakdown. Um, there wasn't, there wasn't much further down the line I could have gone. What got it there? Like, what was, I mean, what drove you to that point to go down that far? Because, I mean, you, you know, slamming math is a, is a pretty, it's, 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 it's huge. It's intense. Yeah, it is. It's incredibly intense. Um, what drove me there? Well, you know, by my nature, I'm very sensitive. So, first of all, um, I'm very sensitive to the the perceived um, wrongs and wounds of the world. And, um, you know, I dealt with a lot of fear, a lot of anger, a lot of sadness, um, a lot of things that I just didn't want to feel. And I also dealt with a fair amount of sort of existential dread. Um, so a lot of really big, profound questions about the nature of everything that often felt overwhelming, even from a very young age. Um, so for instance, I, I, grew up, I grew up in the home of my grandmother, but we uh, were raised in this sort of low-income community that churches send buses out to, to collect children from and, and bring them to church. I attended regularly this one Pentecostal church who preached very strongly like hellfire and brimstone. And I remember crying myself to sleep as a young child over the, the fear of, of that, that uh, fate. Um, so from a very young age, I had this sort of existential dread about what is life, what is after it. Um, I really feel like that played into my, my drug usage. Uh, my escapism, and then also just sort of being, um, I don't know, a little self-absorbed, right? A little self-interested, a little um, terminally unique, we say. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And 
I mean, okay, so you've, I mean, we've, we've gone through it and I, I, there's so, so many parallels, I think, to a lot of um, our stories that have had, you know, uh, with a lot of us that have had addiction in our past and, you know, have done a 12 step program and have then found yoga. There's a lot of similarities. When you see, when you see others going through the same thing, you know, what is like, what is your piece of advice to them? Like when you see someone in that struggle or when you see someone like going to that dark place, like, what do you say to them? So it's, it's interesting timing because I actually um, sent someone a message this morning um, and the message is simple. If, if you fall off the wagon, if you fall off any wagon, the most important thing you can do is get right back on. Mm-hmm. So if you fall off the yoga wagon, the most important thing you can do is start back again as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. If you fall off the... Uh, 90 and 90 program, if, if you get 25 days and then you have a relapse, that can feel really terrible and overwhelming and like you've lost. But the most important thing you can do is just come back as soon as possible so that you don't lose uh, any more momentum, right? Because I do think that there is a, a sense of momentum that has to happen behind a recovery or behind a practice or behind any sort of commitment. You gotta, yeah, you gotta have something going, going there as, as well. And also too, like not being alone in it, like having that community behind it is also really great. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why this, this morning I sent that message because I know this person was surely feeling alone, was surely feeling like they had failed themselves or the people who they'd made commitments to. Mm-hmm. But in fact, it's nothing that any of us who've ever tried to do anything important haven't experienced. What about the yoga part of it? Do you, do you, would you also invite that person to start a yoga practice? Yeah, this person is actually in, in my Mysore room here. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yep. So okay. this person, this person is actually working a couple of different uh, fronts. So yeah, absolutely. Um, I I strongly recommend multiplying the two by each other, um, especially for people like me who, um, you know, my biggest my biggest drawback for many years in committing to a twelve step program was my resistance to the word God that is right there plain and simple in, in, the, in the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. And you know, I, I say this sometimes, but it's a little bit odd that my life and my recovery has centered around two seemingly God-focused programs. Um, but I'm a big believer in sort of taking what you need and leaving the rest. Um, and my yoga practice really allowed me to understand the 12 steps in a less dogmatic way. Um, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. uh, I think I think for a long time, and even now, to be perfectly honest, I, I have a little bit of distrust about the 12th step methodology, wherein it says, God, as, as you see it. Um, I, I do think that there's really a sort of Judeo-Christian underpinning to a lot of the program. Yeah, um, totally. But yeah, <laughs> it's I mean, there. And just, even... and just where 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 the program came from, you know, like yeah. totally. Yeah, absolutely. There's yeah. no way around that. And I've I've had discussions with people in the past who who fervently believe that it is truly, um, 
not a Judeo-Christian program, but I, I just believe that it is. And, and that's a struggle for me. Mm -hmm. um, but when I put the context um, more so towards um, the sort of Eastern, uh, broader philosophical notions of what, what God might be or what creation might be, then it's a little easier for me to, to work the program. Um, I'm 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 glad you you brought that up for even just people you know not necessarily anyone that's listening to this and, and feels like they have a problem but like it's just nice to break that part down and to you know remove the dogmatic part of it it's it's really anything that you believe is just bigger than yourself it could be you know yes. universe it could be shiva yes. it could be anything like anything. For, for us to think that we are the biggest out there is kind of foolish you know like and, the, and the you big, know what's the big bang it could be yes. And more so than any of that, like you, you mentioned dogmatic, like there's, in my mind, there's this sort of two sides of the coin where you could either be dogmatic or you could be pragmatic about it. Right, right. And I'd rather just be concerned with the parts that are actually livable. Right. And that's in the 12 steps. That's in yoga philosophy. I'm really interested in the parts that are actually livable. Yeah. Yeah. The things that are digestible that you can actually bring in yeah. every day. The yeah. things that are actionable. Yeah. Well, that yeah. you can do. Um, and I think that if I do those things, if I do the things that are actionable, it's completely irrelevant what I do or do not think about God. Yeah. Well, Joseph, I mean, I think you're a prime example of, of how yoga saves and how yoga can transform and, and really just give you a second opportunity and a second, you know, like just another doorway to walk in through that things, you know, can get better and they will get better, you know, if you put in the work. And I mean, I'm super stoked that you found Ashtanga and I'm super stoked that you're here to share your story with us. Yeah, me too. Thanks so much for talking with me and uh, letting me tell people about, about my journey. Absolutely, man. We all need to hear it some more. It's been such a pleasure having you on the show. And for the next part of the show, we're going to feature some stories that shed some light on the transformative effect of yoga and its ability to heal and transform. The first story we have is from Tasha Gomes. She shares how yoga taught her how to be aware, present, and intentional with movement, both physically and mentally, how these skills helped her overcome her diagnosis with lupus. My name is Tasha. I'm a yoga teacher, forever student, and a program manager for a nonprofit agency. And this is my story. You look fine. You're young. You're athletic. I'm sure this is all just stress. Dismissals like this are what likely prolonged an eventual diagnosis of lupus. This autoimmune disorder was quietly attacking various organs in my body, simultaneously and angrily. When the right rheumatologist ran the right tests, we finally had a name for my stress. Unceremoniously, I was promised a chronic and unpredictable set of issues and handed a fistful of chronic prescriptions. This experience challenged my self-perception immediately. I am strong. I am in control. That is just who I am. It is who I have always been. Yet, here I was, tired, body racked with pain, mind teased by fear, and there was nothing I could do about the chaos. So I took my medicine. I saw the specialists. I went to work. I didn't talk about it, but I struggled. 
silently, never wanting my face to reflect my pain. My identity was splintering. The stress of the secret was exacerbating my flares. My need to appear strong was exacerbating my isolation. So I began to accept it. I was weak. I was broken. All I could do was breathe through the cracks. As it turns out, breathing is exactly what I needed to do. In my solitude, I returned to yoga. Aching joints and a new sense of frailty had taken me from my practice. Returning to yoga brought me back to my body and consolidated my identities. Returning to a teacher training program brought me into a position to help others do the same. I stopped taking those maintenance medications. I still have flares, but I've learned to use breath, movement, and awareness as a self-prescribed treatment. This has helped me access a new type of strength. This new strength is genuine and layered. Today, I share the healing power I found in practicing with intention, and more importantly, taking yoga off the mat. I still very rarely speak about my condition, but not out of a fear of appearing weak. Actually, for the most part, lupus has become a non-issue. Learning to be aware, present, and intentional with movement, both physically and mentally, has changed my life. I credit yoga for breathing strength and a renewed trust into a body and mind I was beginning to resent. And it's with gratitude that I share these tools with others. Yes, yoga did and continues to save my life. Finally, we have Maria Wag. Maria was diagnosed with a serious illness a few years ago. She credits yoga for helping her find her inner peace whilst facing one of the most daunting challenges. Hi, I'm Maria. I'm a yoga teacher based in Oslo, Norway and Rome, Italy. This is my story of how yoga saved my life. In 2013, I survived a very serious illness. My recovery time, in many ways more challenging than the survival phase, has been a journey of a lot of chemo, persistence and yoga. The inflammation in the brain and nerve system was painful beyond anything imaginable and unrelenting. I had really no idea how to cope with that and that my diagnosis my illness was incurable at the age of 24. Before the illness, I used to be an ambitious achiever, perfectionist, impatient, working 24 hours for my goals, never stopping. Then suddenly, I just had to learn to live in stillness without judging myself for not being able to achieve in a society where we are judged by our achievements. I discovered I really had no idea of what real self-love was before I had to learn to love myself for just being. I'd practiced yoga for 11 years before the illness, and after a long hospitalization, I rediscovered yoga in a new way, beyond the physical asanas. I learned how to rebuild my strength from zero, learn how to breathe through everything, be gentle learning acceptance and patience, gratefulness, non-comparison and non-judgment. I learned how to really listen to my body in a way I had never done before. I was learning to observe my wandering mind and to still my mind. 
Mindfulness and meditation transformed my way of thinking. I was changing. My practice changed together with me. No matter how physically challenging the practice I do today, I move from a different standpoint, with a new intention and inner peace, a moving meditation. My priority is always not how it looks, like in the past, but now it is how it feels. Yoga helped me realize my potential, providing inner strength and happiness no matter what I do or accomplish and how strong the wind blows around me. By letting go of expectations, I now see all the new possibilities, taking nothing for granted. I'm happier than I've ever been, even if I live with chronic pain. It turns out those years of illness, when I thought I was achieving nothing, I was really growing. Because of the way yoga helped me, I just had to become a yoga teacher. And helping people find inner peace in the midst of life challenges is the most rewarding thing in the world. Thank you so much for letting me share my story with you. And thank you for listening. Namaste. So that's it for the first Yogi Misfit Sessions and Fierce Calm collaboration. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I want to thank Joseph, Tasha, and Maria for sharing their stories. It's so vital that we come together and share our vulnerabilities and truths in order to inspire and empower each other. The Fierce Calm Collaboration podcast will run about once a month, and the next episode will drop in the beginning of March. Thanks for joining us on today's session, and until the next time, peace out. <laughs>